Take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastmatrix.com. That's podcastmatrix.com. The sound of the voice on the other end of a 911 call is almost always delivered frantically. The needs of the caller on the other end of a 911 call are ones that need to be met immediately. The services sent to a caller during a 911 call are always delivered efficiently. The stories, perspectives, and details created by these calls over more than 20 years are life lessons and legacies for everyone involved, including me. The records are archived for all time, like this podcast, digitally. I am a 911 dispatcher. My name is Lisa. This is Digitally Dispatched. The last moments of any critical call are usually the moments that stay with you. Some even haunt you. Imagine hearing a frantic voice on the other end of the phone. You do your best to engage, to converse, to change the caller's focus, but nothing you say or do is going to change the outcome of that call. A scream, followed by a moan, and the call was over. The last voice he heard was mine. The call begins. I'm one of the trainers in our dispatch center, and I was training our newest hire the night that we're going to discuss. We decided she was ready to take her first 911 call. A little setup as to how we do 911 calls now is that I, as a trainer, can piggyback the call and listen to what my trainee is saying so that I can help them along, ask some questions, and if I need to, I can take over the call. But that's not what happened during this call. When we took this call, I was there with her. However, I couldn't hear what she was hearing on the 911 call, so I was just waiting for her to enter it into the system so that I knew what the call was about. 911 rings. My trainee answers and says, 911, where's your emergency? I hear her ask, where? Again, and she repeats the location. This is an apartment complex as she enters it into the system. She keeps asking, what? To the caller and trying to understand what he is saying. All I can hear is what she's saying. And she asks him, sir, what about your son? I try to confirm where in the apartment complex the man is so that I can get officers en route to his location. Caller hangs up. Something doesn't feel right to me. I call the number back in an attempt to get more information. I ask her to give the call out on the radio with the man's exact location within the complex. I hear what she is saying as the phone rings. No answer. I try again, and a man answers. Yeah, He sounds emotional, out of breath. Sir, can you tell me what's going on? What's going on is I'm going to kill myself, but this gun won't fire. I jump on the radio and tell my officers responding that he has a gun, which we refer to as a 1032, and he's trying to shoot himself, but the gun won't fire. Sir, can you tell me where you are? I know you're at the apartment complex, but where exactly? Well, I'm by the lake, you know, by the clubhouse, where the big tree is, and... I'm sitting there by the tree. He grunts. 
I just want the cops to get here and get the gun before some kids find it. Sir, I have help on the way. Can you put the gun down and tell me what's going on? Angry now, he says, I'll tell you what's going on. I'm trying to shoot myself and this fucking gun keeps jamming. That's what's going on. I guess you're going to say it's some kind of sign. I hear him grunting and seems to be out of breath again. Sir, can you tell me your name? Sir, help is almost there. What's your name? He screams. And then I hear a moan. I still have an open line. I can still hear him. I jump on the radio. Officers responding. Caller has just screamed. Now all I can hear is him moaning. I did not hear a gunshot, but I still have an open line and I can hear him moaning. Literally seconds after those words, one of my officers advised he was on scene and the call ended. There's a lot more to the story on the other side of the break. I need to take a little break. This will give you the opportunity to hear from my sponsors and see how they can help you. Stay with me so I can give you the details when we get back on scene. I am Lisa, and you are being digitally dispatched. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Do you like what you're hearing during the Digitally Dispatched podcast? Let's have a conversation about how you can help us grow. Visit my website at digitallydispatched.com and let's find a way to get your organization, business, or effort to benefit from my focused and engaged audience. Let me help you grow your digital footprint and foster educational content on the internet. Open a channel now at digitallydispatched.com. That's digitallydispatched.com. The one question each podcaster should be asking themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? Mike Wilkerson from the Two Guys Talking Podcast here. I've podcasted and edited for over a decade, and I know what an hour and a half podcast turns into when you get in front of the editing stack. Let me tell you, it's not an hour and a half. It's closer to probably double that time. Are you ready to hand off the time you're wasting editing your own podcast? Looking for a cost-effective solution that doesn't break the bank but gives you super experienced quality podcasting back to you in a short period of time? Be sure to check out The Editor Core. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Hey, this is Lisa with Digitally Dispatched. I'm back from break, and I'm ready to get back to the scene of the call. The call continues. Before the break, my call had ended, and now all I had was what the officers were saying on the radio to one another. Because we weren't exactly sure what had happened, we had medics responding to the area to stage. What that means is, 
Staging is when first responders get to the scene, but they wait a safe distance away until officers tell us that the status is clear and they can proceed in. This case being that there was a suicidal man with a gun and we wanted to make sure that no one else would be harmed. We knew in dispatch that the suicide attempt had been completed and that the caller was dead. What we didn't know was the story behind this caller. And I wouldn't actually know the whole story until a couple of years later when I was asked to be a part of the CIT, which stands for Critical Incident Training for Dispatchers. We actually use this 911 call in training our dispatchers about suicidal callers. My former sergeant, who was working that night and handled the entire scene with his officers, now teaches the CIT course and shared with me and the class that this was supposed to be a murder-suicide. The man that had shot himself made a pact with his girlfriend that they would meet that night, and he would shoot her and then himself, and they would be found dead on his birthday. According to their text messages back and forth and interviews, both parties were depressed and tired of living like they were. She was a heroin addict, and he just didn't want to live anymore, and he knew he couldn't live without her if she overdosed again and died. So they came up with this plan. When she didn't show up, he decided to go through with his part of the plan anyway. He took his handgun to the location and attempted five times to shoot himself through the heart. He told me on the phone that the gun was misfiring. What my sergeant explained was that he was pushing the barrel too hard against his chest and the gun couldn't recoil, so it discharged the bullet but didn't fire. The sixth attempt worked. It fired. He had a single gunshot wound through the chest. The moaning that I heard on the phone is called agonal breathing. It's also called the death rattle. It is a sign that the body isn't getting enough oxygen. In this case, his body was dying. That was the last sound he made, and my voice was the last voice he heard. The Resolution 911 call received. After the call dropped, caller was recontacted. Officers and medics dispatched. Shot fired. Time of death pronounced. Body released. What I learned as a dispatcher. There are so many lessons I learned in taking this call. I hate listening to it every time we play it for the class because I thought I could have done so much better. I think all dispatchers second-guess themselves when it comes to taking critical calls. I know that there was nothing I could do, nothing I could have said to keep this man from shooting himself because he was in pain and this was his plan. Once a suicidal person develops their plan and starts to put that plan into motion, there's really not a way to get them to change their mind. Not that we didn't try. I also learned that asking someone if they are planning to kill themselves or asking someone if he or she is suicidal is not a taboo thing. It's just plain talk. By asking them, you're not putting the idea into their head. If I'm engaged in a conversation where someone is suicidal or they're talking about being suicidal, it's best just to flat out ask, are you planning to kill yourself? Do you have a plan in place or do you have a suicidal plan? And hopefully they're going to tell you what that plan is. 
that gives us time to get help to them. When I was on the call with this caller, I asked him if he wanted to hurt himself. And he scoffed and said, yeah, I want to kill myself. Also in this call, I got hung up on asking his name. I wish I was more focused on the gun instead of asking his name. Again, I'm going to be harder on myself than anyone else, but I've learned from this experience how better to handle suicidal callers. The legacy. This call itself is a legacy, and it is used in all the CIT classes taught by my former sergeant. When I showed up that first training as a peer speaker, I had no idea that we were going to be using this 911 call. My sergeant asked me when the last time was I had listened to it. Uh, like never? Surprised, he said, you've never listened back to this call? I told him no, I wasn't sure if I even wanted to. <laughs> he told me, well, you're going to because we're going to be using it in the class and I think you should probably hear it before the class does, just to be prepared. So I listened to it. The call in my head lasted at least 10 or 15 minutes. This call actually lasts less than one minute. Isn't it strange how our memories work? Before we play the call, I preface it by saying that this was my trainee's very first 911 call. And then we play the two recordings, hers and then mine. We talked to the class about whether they heard the gunshot. There have been only a few that said they heard it. And to this day, I still can't hear the gunshot when we listen. When I talk to the class, I always ask if they've had similar calls to this one and how did they handle it? Did it bother them that they were the last person that the victim spoke to? How did they handle that? We talk about debriefing, which is where the first responders on a call get together and talk about what happened. It wasn't until very recently that dispatchers were even invited to the debriefings. There was no debriefing for this call for any of us, but it was the first time that some of the people I work with came to me and asked how I was doing, how I was coping. One officer told me that about three hours after the shooting happened, while he was driving around patrolling the city, it dawned on him, my dispatcher just heard a man shoot himself on the phone, and he came back to the station and asked how I was doing. To all of them, I said, and it's a mantra for many dispatchers, oh, I'm fine. He told me of a similar situation he went through, and while I may have felt fine at the time, it would hit me, and if I needed help, to not be afraid to ask. He offered for me to talk to him, told me to talk to my supervisor or my lieutenant, or even the police chaplain. Well, it hit me about two weeks later. Simply driving home in my car, came to a stop sign. I thought about this call and the fact that I was the last person this man spoke to, that it was my voice that was the last thing he heard. And I started to cry. And I cried for a few minutes. I reminded myself that I did everything I could, and I prayed for him, his family, and for me. I also talked it over with a good friend who just listened. I reach out to my fellow dispatchers and let them know that there is no shame in needing help or needing to be heard. I was lucky that I had a friend that could listen, but most of our departments have some type of program set up for any of us that need to go through a debriefing or just someone to talk to. This call is my legacy.
and it has given me a platform to teach and help others, others in my profession as well as in my community. I would like to know where you turn when you're in crisis. Head over to my website at digitallydispatch.com, fill out the quick web form, and tell me what you think. Dispatcher nuggets of knowledge. Holidays are a hard time of year for a lot of people. I know it's rough for me because most of my family passed away, and I miss them even more as the holidays go by. But I have someone to talk to on a regular basis, and there's no shame in admitting that I see a therapist. Are you having a hard time and need someone to talk to? Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you're a dispatcher, there are programs set up through your agency that you can reach out to. If you're one of the people in my community or in any community, there are places that you can call. You can even call your local police department and ask to speak to an officer who is CIT certified or ask the dispatcher for local numbers or hotlines for someone who can help. And if you're feeling suicidal, there is no shame, no stigma in asking for help and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That phone number is 1-800-273-8355. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8355. If you have taken steps in making a suicidal plan, please call 911 immediately and let us get help to you. The calls, stories, and legacies I share are dispatched digitally. The lessons learned by all, the callers, you, especially me, are a piece of my life's unfolding story that I'm proud to share and are preserved digitally. Your thoughts, ideas, and comments can be sent to me electronically at my website, digitallydispatched.com. I am a 911 dispatcher. My name is Lisa. And you have been digitally dispatched.